welcome to this edition of Calling Dibs. I'm your host, Kirsten Appelt, Research Director with UBC Decision Insights for Business and Society, or Dibs for short. Today, we're calling dibs on Heather Devine. Heather is now the Senior Lead and Co-Founder of the Behavioral Science Office at the Public Health Agency of Canada, which has the delightful acronym FAC. As longtime listeners know, Heather was previously the head and founder of the BC Behavioral Insights Group, or BCBIG. Heather was one of the early champions of the Advanced Professional Certificate in Behavioral Insights and was involved in many a brainstorm session involving sticky notes and pizza. So it's really exciting to have Heather graciously returning to the podcast for a record third appearance. I couldn't be more excited for a chance to, reco- to reconnect, even if there's no pizza in sight. So welcome back to the podcast, Heather. Oh, thank you so much, Kirsten. It's my pleasure to be rejoining you again from the other coast of the country. Lots of changes since last time we chatted on the podcast. Very happy to be here and excited for the conversation. Awesome. Well, like you've mentioned, you've changed roles and coasts since you were last here. Can you tell everyone a little bit about where your BI journey has taken you since your time at BC Big? Absolutely. Um, trying to think of the last time we had chatted on a podcast, I was living on Vancouver Island in a beautiful little community uh, where I had lived and worked for many years with my my family. So my husband and my my two kids. And during the pandemic, we had an opportunity to move to the East Coast. So all the way across the country to Nova Scotia, which is closer to my family. So right now we are living in Wolfville, Nova Scotia, which is uh, in the beautiful Annapolis Valley. So we're surrounded by orchards and wineries and farms, which is uh, quite a shift from um, the life we had on the island. And um, as you mentioned in the intro, I'm working with the Public Health Agency of Canada, I'm working remotely. And most of my team are distributed across the country. So that's kind of a neat experience having people from coast to coast. And I'm, I'm launching a, a new behavioral science practice. So uh, looking at, at different issues, some, some things the same and, and some things different. Working in the federal family, working on big public health issues. And um, yeah, a big, a big shift all around, personally and professionally over the last year or so. Absolutely. And I'm really curious to hear a little bit more about that because we previously chatted on the podcast about the landscape of BI and BC. So now that you're on the East Coast, maybe we can zoom out and chat more about the landscape of BI across Canada as a whole. And you've also now had experience in different levels of government. So where are you seeing BI be used? Which uh, federal government areas have BI units? What provinces are using BI? What are you seeing? Well, I mean, just... Speaking from the federal standpoint and what's happening in the federal government, I mean, obviously in at BC Big, we were we had colleagues or, or counterparts that were in the federal system that we were connecting with as part of our broader Canadian community, and I've, I've reconnected with many of those folks who have either practices or are practitioners working in their respective departments. But as I'm now on the inside, I'm seeing how much uptake there's been of behavioral science broadly across the organization, various central agencies and line departments. So just as a few examples, uh, the Privy Council Office has an impact and innovation unit, which many people will be familiar with who listen to this podcast. And they've got a a well-known fellowship program 
And what's interesting is we, we use some of their fellows in our program at FACT, but also in the last year, they've just launched a program of applied research and climate action, or lovely acronym of PARCA. And it's um, portfolios that are in the national, oh gosh, uh, Natural Resources Canada and Environment and Climate Change Canada. So two departments that are collaborating to recruit fellows into their programs to tackle climate change and climate adaptation. So that's pretty cool and exciting. There's the Office of the Chief Human Resource Officer in Treasury Board Secretariat. And they are working on a number of files related to people management and in particular focus on public servants, so more internally focused. Also in TBS, there's an experimentation works program with connections to BSI. There's the Employment and Social Development Canada Innovation Lab, and they've been doing really cool uh, research with a kind of a blended innovation methods toolkit uh, for years. And um, there's kind of a smattering of other practitioners in CMHC, Global Affairs Canada, Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada, DND, Canada Revenue Agency. There's just a wide variety of folks out there either working in small B-side units or uh, working as practitioners in policy shops or program shops. So um, they're, it's really cutting across a wide variety of federal portfolios right now. That's so interesting to hear about. And do you see the different units or groupings using the same model of BI or are they using BI in different ways? Like, does everyone have a BI team or are there different ways of BI being integrated into these units and organizations? I would say there's there's a combination. There are those departments that are committed to having a more established practice or center of expertise be located in a you know a policy shop or a research and innovation shop but really where you've got at least two or three people or more who are coordinating behavioral science activities within that department and who are bringing in behavioral scientists and other um, adjacent practitioners to provide either kind of deep dive research uh, expertise or behavioral lens advice so um, there are those, and then there are those working kind of on their own where a particular program area has identified a need, whether it's kind of a short-term project or longer-term need for behavioral science expertise, sees the value, is kind of a, a champion or an advocate for the practice, and has brought someone in to work on uh, a file or to kind of regularly feed in on some of the planning and decision-making that's happening within their organization. So it's, it's kind of a it's a, a wide variety of, of models being applied. In FAC, we have a hybrid hub and spoke model. So we have a bit of a combination of a center of expertise with a number of behavioral scientists and the center designers, knowledge translators, guiding the practice, building community, offering training, and also providing rapid advice and deep dive analysis to program areas. But then we also have a group of embedded fellows or when, once the model's fully implemented, it will be a group of embedded fellows. Right now the fellow, fellows are all, research fellows are all in our office, but eventually by next year, we will have fellows embedded in, in program areas after an onboarding with us to work closely with those program areas to understand the machinery of government, which is important for new folks coming in, but also um, to be there to, to feed in rapid advice for decision makers. 
and there's probably other models out there too that are being used in, in different departments that I'm not even aware of, but those are sort of most common. It's interesting to see that as the practice continues to grow and mature, there are different ways uh, it's being used. I also think it's being applied to more and more problems. So what problems have you seen BI be applied to now that you're on the other coast? I mean, just even the, 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 list of the growing list of, of federal departments. And of course, the practice has expanded not just in the public sector, but also in the private sector. There are more kind of independent firms that have been stood up. There are the government of Nova Scotia, for example, at the province, uh, the provincial territorial level has a behavioral science unit now. So there's been growth beyond just um, uh, the federal government. But looking looking uh, inward at the federal family, um, I would say what's been most interesting is seeing how people are combining behavioral science with other disciplines. So, for example, artificial intelligence or uh, data science or human-centered design. So that's been a really interesting evolution in the field and and. Um, in, in the federal government and probably in other sectors as well. But that's been a really interesting and more recent event activity. Yeah, I think we're seeing that over here too, that there's now that more and more folks have the BI toolkit, they're also bringing their previous toolkits to bear. And so we're seeing these interesting interactions between, like you said, BI and machine learning or BI and UX or uh, BI and, and service design. Um, so it's interesting to see that that growth. Are there other uh, things you've been seeing how, about how the field has been changing over the last five or so years? Yeah, I would say there's been a lot of change in the last five years. It feels like it's an entirely new, we're in a different stage of the maturity of the discipline uh, as it's been applied specifically in the public sector. Um, there's much broader application. It's, it's reaching into new fields um, and kind of more hybridizing, as I as I mentioned. I would say it's being applied further upstream in the policymaking process. So it's on the radar for a number of senior executives who are now inviting behavioral scientists uh, into some of those conversations a little earlier. Uh, earlier on before legislation, regulation, policies, programs are developed so that that kind of intel can be factored into laws and, and programs and services. And um, as they're thinking about the evaluation process to evaluate the effectiveness of those programs, behavioral science is being brought to bear um, in, in that kind of planning as well. So that, that's been interesting. I would say also just more practitioners flooding into the field and, and more demand for them. We're seeing a lot more behavioral science roles popping up. And I would say also just a lot of behavioral science information available now that was not readily available five years ago. Even three years ago, there wasn't the volume of research articles or events or blog posts or podcasts, videos, all the various great content that people are pulling together and, and sharing out through various um, channels that, that just wasn't there. So I think if you wanted to start a behavioral science practice today, it would probably be a lot easier uh, than it might have been five years ago because there are a lot of lessons learned and best practices that people are sharing. 
So that's been, that's been kind of exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you have contributed uh, to that quite a bit because of your work in the starting BI units and sharing that knowledge and paying it forward, uh, which I think is something that's really special about the BI community, that there is a sense of uh, everyone pitching in and supporting each other rather than everyone carving off their own piece. Um, so that's one of the things I love about the Canadian BI community. I'm curious what you want to see in the Canadian BI community as it continues to develop and grow. I would say I'd love to, to see a relaunch of the, it was an FPT community of practice, a federal provincial territorial, we're actually kind of multi-sectoral because I think we ultimately um, expanded to other sectors, nonprofit and, um, and academic sectors, but, but kind of reconnecting the behavioral science community. I think we're all sort of staying in touch through, through Teams calls and online through social media channels, but it would be nice to, to relaunch that community of practice and, and welcome in all the new folks who have joined the field in the last few years, but then also see where there are opportunities for us to collaborate and share what we're learning, um, both in terms of findings, but also in terms of the growth and maturity of the practice. Um, and relatedly, I would say, uh, I'd love for there to be a conversation about how we preserve the integrity and sustainability of the practice as it continues to expand and evolve. Um, how do we keep it going as we have founders of units moving on to new roles? How do we make sure that, that we don't lose momentum? How do we make sure that we maintain focus on, on the practice and that we're maintaining the scientific integrity um, the ethics and um, <clears throat> the, the the talent that um, has been joining joining the field, especially I'm thinking from a, a public sector perspective, we welcome people in often from academia or other sectors, and how do we keep them interested and engaged in uh, public sector work and applying legal science in this somewhat tricky environment where there are new and different barriers and, uh, and constraints. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think I, I like what you were saying about the um, having the community of practice. And I think that can be tricky because people are all doing their own BI and it's hard to have time to pop your head above what you're doing and, and make those connections. But I think when there have been those opportunities, it's been so fruitful, like the BI principles, the Big Difference Conference, when there are these opportunities to collaborate across uh, the different groups or, or various boundaries. Uh, I think there's been a lot of really neat work that's come out of that. So I too hope that uh, continues to, to develop and grow. Absolutely. And related to that, I would love to see more opportunities to come together in person because now that we're, many of us are working remotely from outside of city centers, there are fewer opportunities, it seems, for us to, to, to cluster and connect in person and to form those um, connections. So um, yeah, co conferences or seminars, or even if it's just an annual thing, some way for all of us to, to connect uh, would be welcome. Yeah, I think Zoom conferences have done a lot, but they certainly don't have that feel of, of networking and getting to hang out that you get from an in-person conference, that meeting around the edges of the actual content of the conference. Absolutely. 
Well, thinking about the new practitioners joining the field, which you've mentioned, what skills and knowledge do you think are most valuable in the practice of BI? For folks who are wanting to join this space, what skills and knowledge should they be gaining or thinking about how they can um, how they can phrase what they do to, to capture the skills and knowledge that are required? So many skills, so much knowledge. Um, I would say something that is really important, regardless of the sector you're joining, obviously my experience is from the public sector, working for government, um, but system navigation, so understanding the culture, the norms, um, the people, the sort of approval chains within the organization, the existing sort of barriers and constraints that you need to work within to, to move things forward and, and to make change, because ultimately the practice is about um, behavior change. It's about changing policies, programs, services, what have you, um, so that we can um, improve outcomes for folks and, and shift behavior. So um, understanding the system within which we're working and um, trying to feed intel into decision-making and, and evidence into decision-making, it, it's really important to understand how it works and how to navigate it. Um, so that's a critical one. Um, all BSI projects, unless their behavioral lenses are involved many stages of the project management kind of life cycle. So really strong project management and stakeholder management skills are key. You're often working with a client, a program area, and trying to understand their problem and hopefully co-designing with them some solutions that you're going to test and um, knowing how to move projects through the various stages and know when to escalate, know when to be kind of briefing up to keeping people informed and um, are, are really critical skills when you're doing this work. Obviously, developing and expanding um, the BSI knowledge. So just continuing to stay plugged into the literature, following um, you know, the, the latest findings that are, are released and shared and, and incorporating that into your knowledge base. And obviously, just strong research skills, quantitative and qualitative research skills being able to identify problems, so problem definition, designing and coding surveys, analyzing data, all those sort of basic um, research skills are, are going to be really key to be successful in, in the field. And that would be kind of more on the behavioral scientist side. Obviously, if you're in knowledge translation or if you're um, more on the human-centered design side of the behavioral science practice, it might be slightly different kind of proportion of, um, of those skills that you might need. But um, by and large, those are those are the key ones that we're looking for as we're hiring talent into the team. So not a, not a small under amount <laughs> of skills there. <laughs> but often people come with with a, a lot of those skills already from previous experiences, whether it's in academia or in their their previous um, work uh, roles. A lot of people come with those skills already, so it, it it's not a necessarily a huge undertaking, but right. Um, yeah, those are those are pretty key skills though to be successful in behavioral science. And some of those can be developed on the job as well. Yeah, and like you said, a lot of them come from previous uh, previous experiences. Um, for folks who are hoping to add on BI to their existing skill sets and they're thinking about if and what level of BI training to pursue, what advice do you have for making that kind of decision? 
a really tricky one because I feel like it's a, a really individual sort of case by case decision. Obviously speaking to practitioners at different levels and in different roles in different organizations probably would be a good idea to get a sense of what's out there and what kind of career path they've had. It's, it's really going to vary. Um, I think there's a, there's many different routes into behavioral science and, and you don't have to be a behavioral scientist to be involved in the practice. As I've mentioned, you know, you can be on the human center design side, you can be more on the policy side and use it as one of your lenses. There are lots of different ways to be involved in the field. Maybe if you've got a strong communications background and are really interested in science communication, then, you know, a knowledge translator role might be of interest. That might be a way in. And then you can sort of continue to develop your, your skills and your knowledge to advance into a behavior scientist role. Um, but um in terms of training, there are a, a growing number of programs out there. There's obviously the Advanced Professional Certificate Program in Behavioral Insights, which uh, um, I strongly encourage people to consider. That's a great way for folks who already have a pretty solid foundation in, um, you know, in whatever their uh, field may be and who want to complement that with, uh, with, with some knowledge and skills in behavioral science in order to, to dip into the field. It's a great place to, to start. Um, there are also master's programs and PhD programs, depending on how kind of deep into the field you want to go and how specialized you want to become and what kind of role you're targeting. Sometimes for behavioral scientists, um, some organizations require a PhD. Some are, are fine with a master's degree and, and even others are fine with a, a bachelor's degree and lots of experience doing applied research. So um, it really depends on the organization and, um, and, the, and your end personal goals as well, personal career goals for the individual. Yeah, I think we are, like you say, there's multiple paths into BI and multiple ways to go through BI. And I think we've certainly seen that in the podcast over time with the, the different guests we've had. I was also going to ask what opportunities are there for people to get involved in BI, but I'm not sure if you feel like you've already answered that question. Are there other opportunities you haven't mentioned that you, you'd want to mention? Yeah, I mean, I would say certainly, as, as we've talked about over the last five years, lots of growth in the field across sectors, public, private, nonprofit, academic, etc. But where I've seen a lot of growth recently is in um, international organizations who are developing dedicated units and hiring in folks from around the world, really, uh, to come and lead the, the, the development of, of the practice. For example, the WHO, the World Health Organization, um, the OECD, World Bank, UN, um, Save the Children has a new unit called Cubic, and I'm not going to remember the acronym, but it's uh, it's a behavioral science practice um, focused on on children in the nonprofit sector. So there are a there are a lot of growth opportunities in those areas, which is really exciting to see, and especially around the world. So that that that's an area that is worth exploring and you can find out about those opportunities by going to those websites but also just by kind of tracking the field on Twitter it seems to be where a lot of the behavioral science community gathers and shares is on Twitter there's also um, LinkedIn which is a, a place that a lot of folks um, are, are sharing job opportunities and kind of amplifying the uh, those postings with their extended networks 
And then I would say there are a lot of communities of practice that are popping up and lots of newsletters and virtual conferences that people can attend. And I think we're getting better with virtual conferences at finding ways for people to network on the margins or somehow embedded in the conference because that's a, a bit of an unmet need. We haven't quite figured out how to do that, but um, as well as, as would be possible in person. But I think with technology, we're, we're making progress. So I would say that would be another way for people to find out about the opportunities, meet people and stay plugged in. Yeah, that's a great point about the international opportunities, because a lot of times we're so focused on where we are, we don't think about the, the international options. And like you said, that's such a growing space in, in BI right now. Absolutely. And I will also say a good plug for the impact and innovation unit in the Privy Council Office of the Federal Government. Uh, they have a fellowship program that we draw on heavily for our FAC, the Hill Science Office, and also that PARCA program, the, the climate change program that I was mentioning. So for, for anyone who does have a background in behavioral science and wants to come in as a fellow, they do have fairly regular intakes at least once a year. They've just wrapped up their more recent one, but um, definitely something to be, again, monitoring and tracking through Twitter and LinkedIn because they do a lot of uh, heavy promotion when they, when they do launch their, their intake. Yeah, it's really nice to see the opportunities growing and growing for folks. Well, speaking of the folks who are newer to the field, do you have a message for our new BI practitioners in training? Wow, uh, so, so many messages. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm so excited that the, the field is growing and more people are, are finding their way to apply behavioral science. And in particular, my bias, uh, apply behavioral science in the public sector, in government. Um, you know, I think a couple of things that would, that I think would be, helpful as learners are looking for opportunities and looking to build a career in this field, whether they're already steeped in it or whether they're new, is building their network, starting now, not waiting until they're finished the program, um, not waiting until they're sort of officially in a behavioral science role, but actually starting now to build their network. So finding out who's who in the behavioral science community and even starting with one person and asking them who they might recommend um, th these contacts that you're developing and, and this network that, that, that you're developing, these are going to be the folks who will be sharing best practices with you and you'll be exchanging ideas and you'll be looking for opportunities to collaborate and partner on projects and even folks that you will be commiserating with down the road, especially if you're leading behavioral science research projects or building a behavioral science team, establishing that network of, of trusted um, kind of allies in in this space is, is going to be uh, really worthwhile. Uh, and then the other thing I would say is like telling your stories, finding ways to share your experience coming in to the field. And, you know, there's lots of reasons why it's important to tell stories. I mean, I think for public transparency, talking about what it is we do, so the kinds of projects that we're working on and what we're learning, but then also the operational transparency. So, allowing others who were sort of peering in to see a little bit behind the curtain, you know, what, what, what goes on in the day-to-day -day of doing applied behavioral science work. What are some of the challenges? What are some of the fun, exciting things that are going on? Um, I think it's just really important for us to tell the stories in really compelling ways in a variety of different channels. 
and you don't have to be an expert yet to do it. I think that's the other thing is I think some people hold off from sharing their stories because they figure they need to wait until they're a behavioral scientist or until they're in some position of authority to be able to, to speak to certain issues, but we can all share our experiences and, and what we're learning. And I think the more we do that, the more, and the more vulnerable we, we can be with sharing those stories, um, the more people will feel welcomed into the field and feel the warmth of the, of the BSI community, especially here in Canada. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful message to end on thinking about the warmth of the community and how when you were earlier in your journey, you would have appreciated hearing from people who are who are still feeling early in their journey, not just from the people who have made a lot of progress on their journey. Um, any last thoughts, anything else you wanted to, to raise today? It's always a tough question. <laughs> any last thoughts? Oh, um, no, I think it's, I'm, really excited about where where the field is going and um, having some of those deeper conversations that I was was mentioning in terms of the sustainability and integrity of the practice, things like diversity and inclusion, um, conversations about um, how we measure success in the field, how we move beyond sort of the initial founders and keep the practice going as people are kind of moving on. And um, and how we retain talent. I'm just excited and looking forward to having those conversations through a community practice or through um, conferences or whatever venues are available to, to share and collaborate. Just kind of hungry for, for opportunities to, to get together with folks in small groups or large groups and keep the sort of part of the, the B-side community beating and, and strong and thriving. And, continue with the leadership role that I think Canada has had in behavioral science over the last few years. We've really made our mark on the global map and, and we've been recognized and been offered opportunities to um, be involved in some international work. And I think that's due in large part to the generosity of the community and the hard work of folks like yourself, Kirsten, and, and um, our academic partners and, and folks at, at UBC and U of T and other places in Canada that have been doing behavioral science work, either kind of on the forefront or sort of, um, you know, more behind the scenes. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's a great time to be in this field and to be at the beginning and to watch it mature and grow. Yeah, I would agree that it's a really exciting time to be in the field because I think a few years ago it was exciting because we were starting to see momentum, but now it's exciting because now that we have the momentum, BI is being used in more and different ways. So like you said, applications to EDI, applications to diverse challenges, new ways of doing BI, new ways of working together. It's a, it feels like a very exciting time. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Heather. It really feels like old times to get to reunite and talk shop with you. And I'm, I wish we could go on for a few more hours, but I know <laughs> the time differences and such that might not work out well. So yes. thank you for always generously sharing your time, energy, and wisdom. It's been a pleasure to talk to you today. Well, thank you so much. It's always a privilege to, to get to chat with you and to connect with the, um, the, the, the BSI community through podcasts and, and other means. So thank you. And thanks for keeping this podcast going. This is amazing. 
And thanks to our listeners for joining another episode of Calling Dibs. Calling Dibs is recorded and edited on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Calling Dibs is edited by Rashad Habib, Siobhan Cook, Isabella Haramijo, Karnian Ashrafi, and Kirsten Appelt. Intro and outro music are excerpts from Resonance by Airtone, licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 3.0.